Our reading for this, from, uh, this morning comes from the book of Haggai, which is in the Old Testament. So if you look at your church Bibles, it's on page 957, the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Ruth, thank you very much for reading for us. Please do keep your Bibles open there, Haggai chapter 2. And uh, it would be a help to you uh, also to see the outline on the the back of the notice sheet, just to give you an idea of where we're going. As we begin, let me uh, lead us in prayer with some words from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget 
the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Father God, we do thank and praise you for all the good gifts you've given us. But we do pray that we would take care lest we forget that you are our Lord and that you have rescued us from slavery to sin. Please uh, speak to us through your word this morning that we might not forget and that we might live rightly uh, in the light of all that you have done for us through your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin by introducing you to Bob and Brenda. Uh, Bob and Brenda have been listening intently to the first couple of sermons on Haggai and really taking it to heart. Uh, They know and love Jesus and they want to know and love him more and more. Uh, So Bob's been trying to be more proactive in speaking of Jesus in the office. He's even joined the Christian Union at work. He wants to encourage other believers in living for Jesus and speaking uh, of him in the workplace. Uh, Brenda's been looking over their finances. She realizes if they don't do an overseas holiday this year, if they just postpone the loft conversion, they can give more money to a missionary friend of theirs uh, who's working to reach people with the gospel. Uh, Bob's uh, started trying to get home in time to have supper with the children, not just because it's a good thing to do, but so he can need a short uh, Bible thought with the kids and pray with them before they go to bed. Uh, Brenda's gone over the diary and chats to Bob about how with a little juggling and finding the right babysitter, they can make a Bible study group together. Uh, They can commit to encouraging other believers from God's word and being built up themselves. But Bob and Brenda are a little confused when things don't seem to be going to plan. Uh, Bob's put on notice at work. Uh, The kids seem just as out of control as ever. Uh, Brenda's back keeps playing up. Uh, Their neighbours, they're not interested in coming along to church. Uh, God doesn't seem to be blessing them at all. Uh, But why? Isn't living God's way supposed to be better than this, they think? If fully committing to temple building... Uh, making disciples of Jesus, if that doesn't bring God's blessing, then what does? If going all out seeking to make disciples of Jesus doesn't make God show us favour, then what gives? Well, I guess by now some of us may smell a rat. You see, we've had a couple of weeks encouraging us to get stuck into the work God is doing in the world. But there's a danger we all face of thinking God then owes us one. On Giving Sunday, it is an especially prevalent danger. And so this morning, we're thinking about how God brings blessing. And the first thing Haggai tells us is our obedience can't undo God's judgment. You'll see it down there on the outline, part 1a. Our obedience can't undo God's judgment. Just look with me again to verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. So we're now here in Haggai, three months into the rebuilding work. And again, Haggai strolls out and proclaims the word of the Lord. 
And at first glance, it's a fairly straightforward question about the law, isn't it? Does a holy meat pass on its holiness through clothing it's carried, on, carried in? But no, that's the right answer. Does an unclean person make things unclean by touching them? Yes, so there's the principle. Uncleanness spreads, holiness doesn't. It's making a point about spiritual matters that we all know in daily life. With uh, young children in the house, there's often some illness lurking uh, somewhere. And you know how it goes. Someone picks up something from school, uh, they bring it back and share it round from one family member uh, to the next. Uh, Now, when a child is ill, when they're kind of uh, hunched over the toilet bowl, at no point do I think to myself, I know just what to do. I'm going to get a a healthy person and put them next to the sick child, and that's going to make everything better. Uh, The healthiness will spread to them. Uh, We know it doesn't work in reverse. Uh, Putting a well person, a healthy person, on a hospital ward has rightly not been an NHS tactic during the pandemic. But then the hammer blow comes in verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. All their hard work on the temple, all their sweat and toil, all those checks and direct debits, all those sacrifices, God says it's defiled. It's unclean. It's a huge shock, isn't it? It's taken 16 years to get going again with rebuilding the temple, but they have... And then God says this. Even God-ordained obedience cannot make the unclean holy. Since whatever unclean hands offer is itself unclean. It's like offering up a beautiful meal with our hands covered in E. coli or salmonella bacteria. It doesn't matter how amazing the meal looks or tastes. It doesn't matter how much time and effort has gone into preparing it. It's still tainted. It's still no good. Our good works can never make a sinner right with God. Actually, a sinner will defile any good work they offer to God. Even when a sinner does something otherwise good, he sins because the motives of his heart are corrupt. No, throughout the Bible, it's crystal clear our salvation has to come from outside us through an act of God. And we thought in chapter one about using our our time, our energy, our money in in temple work, in making disciples of Jesus. But here's the danger of thinking somehow it can undo sin or improve our standing before God. It can't undo God's judgment and it can't bring God's blessings. There's the second part of verses 10 to 19. Again, you can see it on on the handout. Our obedience can't bring God's blessing. Uh, The the carpenters, they've been hard at work. The brickies, the sparkies, they've barely stopped for a cup of tea with five sugars. At the building site at the temple, it's been a a buzz of activity. And yet things haven't improved. Verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, 
Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. I'm sure many of us have heard this story before, but it's worth retelling. There was once a young boy sitting at the kitchen table, and as all young boys are, he's naturally inquisitive, and he begins to ask his mum some questions. Uh, Mum, is, is God everywhere? Well, yes, dear, God, God is everywhere. A little pause. Mum, is, is God in this room? His mum, a little perplexed, answered, yes, God, God's in this room. A longer pause. Mum, is, is God in this jar? The boy points to an empty jar on the table. Well, I, I suppose in a sense he is. Got him, the boy cries as he puts his hand over the jar. Uh, We smile to ourselves at the boy's naive theology. And yet there's a danger we're not too dissimilar. Got him theology is very tempting. Uh, We see it out there in the health and wealth prosperity gospel, a a false gospel. Uh, So Joel Osteen, a pastor in that movement, says, when you focus on being a blessing... God makes sure that you're always blessed in abundance. Sounds so attractive. Has a, has a ring of truth about it, doesn't it? I mean, isn't God good? Doesn't he want good for us? Here's another one. If we say it long enough, eventually we're going to reap a harvest. We're going to get exactly what we're saying. Or uh, Creflo Dollar, apparently it is his real name, writes, When we pray, believing that we've already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key to getting results as a Christian. Or here's one for Giving Sunday. Austin again, if you want to reap financial blessings, you have to sow financially. Well, obviously that is, that is one extreme. I hope, I take it, most of us aren't tempted to think like that, but we still face a kind of closer danger that God somehow owes me if I do what he wants. We might spot the extreme view, but don't we sometimes think if we do what God wants, either as individuals or as a church, well, somehow God has to give the results. We, We pray more and expect more people to become Christians. It may happen, but God doesn't promise it. We speak more boldly of Christ. We get involved in that temple building work and and more folk trust in Jesus. Well, it may happen, but God doesn't promise it. You see those things listed in verse 17, if you just glance down, that they're a picture of God's judgment from places like Deuteronomy 28, 1 Kings 8 or Amos 4. They are covenant curses that haven't yet lifted So what's going on here? Well, we need to note the timing. This word, we're given the timing throughout Haggai, but this word here uh, comes three months after they've restarted work on the temple. Now, why the delay of three months? Uh, Surely if God's blessing them for restarting the work on the temple, this should have come three months earlier. Why this day? Well, isn't it precisely so they don't fall into the trap of thinking they've earned God's blessing? And when we remember that from this day onward, verse 15, verse 18, can also mean from this day backwards, it's even clearer. God's saying, look back and consider. 
Before you restarted work on the temple, things weren't going great. It was half rations all round. Ever since the foundation was laid some 16 years ago, I haven't lifted my covenant curse from you. And now, these, these last three months, you've been working on the temple and still things haven't improved. No seed, no fruit. But now, from this day on, I will bless you. And I'm doing it today so you don't think there's anything special about today or that you've earned my blessing. Now can we begin to see the shock at the end of verse 19? Yes, they've started work again on the temple, but they're still a compromised people. Yes, they've, they've started work on the temple again, but God's not now somehow in their debt. Now let's not think by giving to God he somehow owes us. As David prays in 1 Chronicles 29, all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Or as we read last week in Haggai, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. We give and we serve God wholeheartedly and sacrificially, not to earn his blessing, but because we're already blessed in Jesus. And we give to the work of the gospel here at St. John's, not so much because we have to, but because we get to. That we respond to God's gracious generosity to us with generosity to his work out of what he's already given us. God moves his people from blight to blessing all because of his undeserved kindness. But how? If our obedience can't undo God's judgment or bring his blessing, what hope does anyone have? How can God's judgment be dealt with? How can we be blessed? Well, it's all about the establishing of God's king. Verses 20 to 23 might not seem to fit with what's come before, but actually they are the perfect answer. They are the fitting conclusion to the whole book. And it brings us on to that second big idea you'll see there on the outline again. True blessing is the establishing of God's king. True blessing is the establishing of God's king. Now, for those who've been coming along for any amount of time, I hope it doesn't surprise us that Jesus' obedience has dealt with God's judgment. Jesus' obedience is what brings us blessing. And so already, uh, in a sense, we've been seeing how this passage is crying out for Jesus. Uh, even in the book of Haggai itself, by the end of the book, we see it's not so much about the re-establishing of the physical temple. Did you notice it's only mentioned once in this section? No, it's all about the re-establishing of the line of kings. Here's where true blessing lies. I don't really do uh, social media in a huge way, but I've seen enough of it to know that hashtag blessed is a thing. I think it's still a thing on social media. It's always some uh, amazing photo, uh, someone on a holiday of a lifetime, a beautiful sunset, some idyllic beach. Uh, they take a photo, post it online, hashtag blessed underneath. Another person, uh, four green lights on the way uh, to work, four green lights in a row, hashtag blessed. Uh, someone else, their picture, perfect family standing on the slopes all in their ski gear. The only thing whiter than the snow is their teeth. Hashtag blessed. So is that what it means to be blessed? Well, of course, God in his goodness does give us good things to enjoy. Uh, but blessed must mean far more than being 
lucky, and it's certainly got nothing to do with the haves bragging over the have-nots. But I've yet to see the last four verses of Haggai posted online with hashtag blessed underneath. Maybe you could change that later on today. Just look, with the, uh, look at them again with me. Verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The fact this uh, word of the Lord comes on the same date as verses 10 to 19 shows us we're meant to read them as a pair. And here we see what true blessing is and how it comes about. And there are two things in view, the destruction of God's enemies and the establishment of his king. If all this language of shaking sounds familiar, that's because it is. But whereas shaking earlier in the chapter was to establish a people, now it is to destroy their enemies, though of course the two are related. Verse 22, this this overthrow, this destruction of the strength of kingdoms, it may not seem like a blessing to us here in Tunbridge Wells. But actually, haven't the last few days begun to stir in us a desire to see dictators and despots overthrown. I've read of our pastors in the Ukraine stocking up on provisions and medicines, not just for their families, not even just for their churches, but for neighbours and strangers, any who need help. They've decided to, to stay put in Ukraine despite the massive risks. It is right to pray for Putin to be stopped. Or imagine we're living in northern Nigeria. Just last month, it's reported four believers were killed, another 22 girls kidnapped in Islamist raids. Or in Peshawar, Pakistan, on the 30th of January this year, Pastor William Siraj was attacked and killed by gunmen on bikes as he drove home from church. It is right to long for, to pray for safety and peace. Can we begin to see why God's enemies being dealt with is a good thing, even a blessing? Wonderfully, any and all who turn to Jesus receive forgiveness and eternal life. It is absolutely right. We love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We should long for them to come to know Jesus for themselves. Let's pray for Putin and others to turn to Jesus and submit to him. But for all who continue to oppose Jesus and his people, who refuse to repent, God must judge them. God will destroy his enemies. And he will also establish his king. As a rubber he's not the most prominent of Bible characters. He seems an, an insignificant government official in an obscure province at one of the lowest points in Israel's history. He's the heir of an apparently cast-off royal line. Yet God has chosen Zerubbabel for a significant task. He he fulfills it faithfully. He is a a royal descendant who looks like nobody. 
But just look at the, the language God uses for him. Verse 23, he's God's servant, my servant. He's his signet ring. He's his chosen one. And God's chosen servant signet ring is another way of saying God's king. Especially when we remember back in Jeremiah 22, the Lord says this to the king. As I live, declares the Lord, though Caniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you're afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. God, God took off the royal line, took off the signet ring. And now God is putting back on the royal line as his signet ring. God's promise to bless his people and the whole world through the house of David still stands. And so it's no surprise when we get to Matthew 1, we read about Jesus, son of David. And then who do we, we find in that long list of names but Zerubbabel? He turns out to be one of Jesus' ancestors. Zerubbabel was never king in Jerusalem. He never sat on the throne. But he points us to God's true king, God's chosen servant, signet ring. A signet ring is a, a stamp, an, an official seal. It represents the king. What does Philippians 2 tell us? Jesus was in the form of God. He is God's perfect representation to us. He is so conformed to the image of, uh, of the one true God that to look to him is to look to God. He doesn't just carry God's seal. He is God's seal, his stamp, his very being. I will make you like my signet ring. Oh, what else does Philippians 2 say? He took the form of a servant by becoming a man and dying in our place on the cross, taking the punishment for sin, he serves us. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. And Jesus is also the supremely chosen one. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God's true king, and he is seated on the throne. Over the last few days, the stability we thought would last forever has been shaken. A war in Europe. It means conflict, upheaval, pain, suffering. Haggai tells us there is only one unshakable kingdom. And at the centre is God's king, Jesus Christ. Not everyone recognises Jesus as God's king, but there's a day coming when God will shake the heavens and the earth and Jesus' rule will be clear for all to see. This is true blessing. Having all fear and danger and evil removed, having Jesus as our king, being part of his eternal, unshakable kingdom. If you've uh, seen the Back to the Future films, uh, you'll know that Biff Tannen is the main baddie. In the second film in the trilogy, he goes back in time to give his past self a sports almanac with all the results in for the coming years. And all past Biff has to do is place bets on what he knows is a definite result. It's all in the almanac. 
how foolish, how stupid to change a bet or not put any money down on what you know is a definite outcome. Well, in Haggai, we know the result. We can go all in. Jesus and his kingdom is what will last. We can put all our eggs in one basket. Of course it makes sense, doesn't it, to to pour all our energies and resources into what cannot be shaken. Now, on a a giving Sunday like this, I do want to to reiterate what's already been said, uh, the encouragement that is not directed to guests or those who aren't yet following Jesus. But if you are part of the church family here, I hope we are committed to supporting the work at St. John's. Maybe we need, you know, we need to, to start in this work. There are many good things to support, but supporting your local church is a top priority in Scripture. Non-Christians will give to humanitarian needs, though of course we should too, but no one else is going to support St. John's. And we know giving can't earn God's favour, but it is lining up what God's given us in the most sensible, most secure way. It is investing in an unshakable kingdom. We can go all in. There is a day coming, it is guaranteed, when God will fully and finally, publicly and powerfully establish the kingship of Jesus over all the universe. It'll be evident for all to see. We are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In that day, his people will rest secure. In that day, our faith will become sight. Our trust, hope, and service of our king, who is presently unseen, will be vindicated before all. We will be shown to be God's temple, his dwelling place. Haggai shows us the house itself is fading from the forefront to become a picture of the people. Its purpose is their purpose. Its benefits are their benefits. Its existence is their assurance. God is with them. God will bless them. In fact, his being with them is his blessing to them. And so as they build the house, he's really building them into a dwelling place for himself through his chosen king from David's line. So on Monday morning, Bob gets up early to make Brenda a coffee so she can concentrate as she reads her Bible and prays. He does it knowing it won't earn God's blessing, it can't deal with his sin, but he longs for his wife to come to know and love and serve Jesus as her king more and more and knows that true blessing comes only through him. Bob's secure in the fact Jesus is established as God's king. And so even though he's put on notice at work, it motivates him all the more to speak of Jesus at work. Not to earn God's blessing, but because he wants to make God's blessing known. Jesus is Lord. Brenda's struggling with the kids and just can't understand why they seem intent on doing the opposite of everything she says. But she perseveres in seeking to point them to Jesus in all she says and does. As she wrestles through Bible time before bed, because she knows that in Christ we are secure. She longs for her children to be part of an unshakable kingdom. She keeps going and teaching her children the Bible, not to make God less angry with her, but because she is already blessed in Jesus. You and I need to keep on serving Jesus in temple work, making disciples of all nations, speaking of Jesus, building up people in him. 
and will only keep going if we know we're not trying to earn God's blessing through it. We'll only keep going in temple work if we're fully convinced God will pour out his blessing finally and fully on us by eliminating his enemies and establishing his true king. Let's pray together. Some words from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is the king you have established. Thank you that you have set him on Zion, on your holy hill. We do pray that we would be wise, that we would be warned, that each one of us would uh, flee to Jesus for refuge. We would be blessed by taking refuge in him. We do thank you that one day uh, all enemies and opponents will be fully dealt with, that Jesus' rule will be clear to all. So please help us line up our lives with that coming day. Help us use all that you've given us uh, for your glory, not because we want to earn a blessing, but because we are rejoicing in the blessing already given to us in Jesus, and we want to make that blessing known to all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.